describes a, a uncomfortable, uh, a discomfort experience where these two cognitions are incompatible with each other. So you want to be a responsible dog owner, but you're halfway through the walk, and you know your dog, you know, does his business in someone's yard, and you realize you forgot your baggies. Uh -oh. yeah. But you're ha but you're, you, those two things are compatible. So you, you've got the goal, you know, I want to, I want, I want to be a responsible dog owner, but this thing happened. Or, you know, you want to, uh, you want to be in shape, you, you want to be healthy, you want to do right, but you, you know, you want the donut, you want, you want different things. Those two things uh, are, are not com com compatible. Uh, you want to be a productive worker, but then you look down at your phone, you think, man, these candies are not going to crush themselves. <laughs> so you go on, and two hours later. Um, you and I, you and I, you and I want freedom, right? This is what we're talking about. We're talking about freedom. You and I want freedom, but most of the time, we end up doing the very opposite of what gets us freedom. Every human heart desires freedom. It is the driving force behind all that we do. All of us have been born into a fractured world, and we feel the weight of that fracture very early on. So the reason why... Uh, and, and it drives us. And so the reason why we are uh, lazy or the reason why we pursue relationships or the reason why we are hiding from relationships is because we want freedom. The reason why we spend money, the reason why we work, the, 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 this gnawing sense on our soul that we, that we want is we are pursuing freedom. It's behind all that we do. It's behind all that we do, all the things that we are going for. It's the freedom from things that weigh us down, freedom from the inner turmoil. We are all seeking freedom and the claim of Christ as he's called us to it. And in Galatians 5, it's, uh, Paul writes, he says in verse 13, he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. And, and Jesus said something very similar. John 8, 36, he says, so if the Son has set you free, you will be free Indeed. So Paul writes again, you are called to, to freedom, brothers. But then he, he puts a bit of a warning in there for us. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use your freedom for self. But Paul says, but, I, but if you have to ask Paul, like, hey, what is freedom if you don't do what you want to do? So that doesn't make any sense. So he says, he says, you are called to freedom, so you, God wants to set you free. Just don't do what you want to do. <laughs> I mean, we are told by the lyrics, the melodies, the sitcoms, the music, the videos, social media, that freedom is defined by, I do what I want, when I want, with whoever I want. That's freedom. I can do whatever I want. And there are conservative versions of freedom, and there are liberal versions of freedom. But we all have this basic definition that freedom is, I do what I want, when I want, with who, and wherever I want. I mean, it's, it's like built into our country, our very psyche. And then we come to Jesus to free us from our sin, remove our guilt, remove our shame, give us hope, give us a future, so that I can do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. We want things to be our way for ourselves. Do you know what the number one chair in America is? Lazy boy. It's a lazy boy. Exactly. 
and I wish I had me one of those, but I'm not allowed. My wife is so cool, so artistic. Art. I mean, she does just some cool stuff. She's, I mean, she was, she's been in, she's really into the mid-century modern vintage thing and so we the lazy boys came out in the 80s so we can't have that in our house and, but i would love to have a lazy boy but i can't have it you know with a cup holder and like a phone charger like the whole paul's like here so here's paul's point let's go back to paul paul's like you want freedom all right? And this is the human condition. And it's going to set us apart. Well, I, let me remind us of why I'm talking about this. This is going to set us apart. I think especially in this cultural moment that we're in, um, coming out of this pandemic. Paul says, you want freedom, but you go back to what enslaved you in the first place. Yeah. Right. And maybe the past couple years has highlighted this for you because we we're all cooped up you know we're left to our own devices you know seeking to you know get some escape perhaps you binged a little bit on entertainment uh, food you know indulgence self-indulgence only to fall asleep and to wake up the next morning feeling overwhelmed with regret I know I'm forgiven I know I'm free but I don't feel free. I have the aspiration of free. I mean, I've got money. I've got a car. I mean, we are the wealthiest country in the wealthiest time period by far. The average person in America lives better than kings did, you know, years ago. I mean, it's just, we are the definition of what it means to be free. We can generally do what we want when we want. But why do we not feel that way. We have resources, we have opportunity, and if we don't, if, we're, if we miss out on a fraction of an opportunity, we'll fight to make sure that we get that opportunity, whatever it is, you know, make sure everything's right, make sure everybody gets their freedom. So on one hand, we amplify, as Christians, I'm not even talking about the world now, as Christians, we amplify the fact that Jesus has forgiven us and freed us Yet, we give ourselves to self-indulgence. So what is the answer? What is the answer? If we're not to give ourselves to self-indulgence, what are we supposed to do? What do we normally do? Well, if I was to stop this sermon right now, which I'm not, but if I was, um, we, our brain would go to where it usually goes. I bet most of us would instinctively begin to architect a system of rules. Um, this is this may this may translate with you after the Super Bowl uh, in 2021. By the way, is Tom Brady is he hated or liked in this region? Loved, 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 loved. Still loved. Tom is my hero. Even though he's not here anymore, and you'll never win a Super Bowl ever again. Okay. Ouch. Well, anyway, I'm making friends uh, and not influencing people. Um, so after the Super Bowl, I don't know if your phone did this, but my, I have all the, I'm a sports junkie. And so I have all these sports apps. And these apps blew up with this phrase, you've got to do Tom Brady's diet. I mean, this is why he's 87 years old and winning Super Bowls. <laughs> it's his diet. 
Uh, I mean, this guy on a cheat day, cheat day eats blueberries, and it's like, this is, his diet is pristine. And if you just do what Tom Brady does, you follow his plan, his system, his programs, his rules, you too can win your proverbial Super Bowl. And that's exactly what the Christians in Galatia were doing uh, as we read this text. Um, and in the church, you'll find two very unhealthy paradigms and philosophies that will point you to freedom, and we see this in the culture. One is self-indulgence. Hey, we do what we want, and you know, we're Americans, and there's rights, and da da da. And uh, or the other one, in a reaction to self-indulgence, is rules. Is you got to be this way, you got to say this way, you got to do this, you got to be this, you got to you got you got to be a certain way. And we are convinced. We are absolutely convinced in the West. That the way that you fix self is self. So instead of self-indulgence, it's self-discipline. And I wonder which group you would have more sympathy for. Or maybe you're like me and it's like you kind of mix and match them. You apply self-discipline so that you can indulge yourself. Right? So you'll run, you'll work out so that you can eat what you want. You'll work really hard and save up money so that you can do what you want and play. And you worked all these years and you saved us money and I've got this house and I've got this boat and I've got this car and I've got it. But neither self-indulgence or self-discipline is the path to freedom. So what is the path to freedom? It may or may not surprise you. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom for the opportunity for the flesh. But here it is, here it is. Ready? But through love, serve one another. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I mean, our whole economic system is based upon getting other people to serve us. To, to wash our clothes, to, to fix our food, to wash our cars. To, to, to do, we, that's, we are a service-based economy. The whole idea is to get other people to serve us. This is what I'm working for. This is what I'm striving for, is I want other people to serve me. That is the ultimate expression of freedom. That is the American dream. And yet, and yet, it's diametrically opposed to the very definition of freedom that we see right here. The opposite of self-indulgence, the definition of freedom, is not self-discipline, but it's love. What do you mean love? Do you mean like a feeling of love? Do you mean like an emotion of love? I mean love in the form of serving one another. Uh, it's, a, it's a verb. It's not a noun. So freedom is not found in pursuing self fixing self, preferring self, cultivating self, but looking outside of self to others. That is what freedom is. You want to walk in freedom? Serve other people. For the whole law, he says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as your self. In other words, we are to look at our neighbor and we begin to see them as um, deserving the same human dignity that we are, uh, worthy of service, love. So to the degree that we want to cultivate our own lives, 
our own economic situation, our own plight, we are to apply that same energy toward the pursuit of others. True freedom comes when we follow the example of Christ to empty ourselves. Right? That's what he did. You know, sometimes we say, like, oh man, she's so full of herself. Jesus, according to Philippians 2, emptied himself. He emptied himself of what? He emptied himself of all of his rights. The Christian, the Christian is not someone who claims what's theirs. This is my right. This is me. This is what I deserve. And, and this is very holistic. Very, very holistic. We are those who have been bought with a price. Amen. Exactly. That was a great time to amen. <laughs> we've been bought with a price with his own blood. We've been ransomed. We've been Our sin has been atoned for. We're paid for. We are not our own. We... So, I think I could be so bold as to say to be a Christian is to want to be like Jesus. And he is someone who emptied himself of his rights. And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so his greatness was not defined as we define. So his greatness was not defined by how high he ascended. His greatness was defined by how low he descended. Yeah, yeah. And that's why he got the best name, the name that's above all names. His name is Jesus. Okay. Um, so the, this kind of freedom, the only logical response um, is to give ourselves as freedom. That's what, what Paul talks about in Romans 12. He says, in, in light of the grace and mercy of God, Romans 1 through 11, Paul at his, his best, explaining what the the gospel is, and then he says in, in Romans 12, in light of that, present yourselves, the log, your logical response to that, your logical worship, is to live your life in service to others. And I mean, I see it's in my own context in, in beautiful ways, and I'm sure if we had the time, I, I would, you know, we would all talk about in our churches uh, how we see people doing that. We see evidence of that. We see the freedom that's found in that. But we still have this thing against us, saying, nah, "No, freedom is doing what I want." But we have to, we have to press through that. This is a lot different than that. And why is this true? Why is this true? Here's why this is true. Because, and I, I got this quote for you. It says, "Because love is motivated by the joy of sharing fullness, but the pursuit of self is motivated by desire to fill our emptiness." The reason why this is true, because love is motivated by the joy of sharing our fullness. But the pursuit of self is motivated by the desire to fill our emptiness. We all have this fracture in our soul. We all have this ache. We're all wanting to get free from that. And we think the answer... So we have this emptiness. This is the classic, you know, Christian line. Are you feeling empty? You got this, you got this God side. You shape it, you know, missing thing in your heart or whatever it, however it goes. I've never done that one. Um, but we're all seeking to pursue that. And the reason why we're doing that is because we're trying to fill our emptiness. But love, this is why Jude very wisely said in his little book, you know, keep yourselves beloved in the love of God. You're, you, need this, you, need this, you need this resource. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, love does not 
seek its own. So when we are full, when we are full, we share, we serve, in other words. When we're empty, we try to fill. This desire to do what you want, when you want, is a desire to fill emptiness. When we love, we are not enslaved to use things or people to fill our emptiness. Love is the overflow of our fullness. Therefore, the love is the hallmark behavior of true freedom. When God fills the emptiness of our heart with forgiveness and His all-satisfying presence, He frees us from the bondage of self. The only motive left is the joy of sharing our fullness. The Bible says that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. In Christ, we start with fullness. We are, we have fullness in Him. And we need to keep pursuing this fullness. We need to keep, you know, uh, staying in His love because, you know, we, we can forget what He's done for us. We can forget the gospel. We can forget that He died on that cross for us, that He loved us so much that He left the, the comfort of heaven and became vulnerable, lived a perfect life and died in our place. We can forget that. But when we are living in the goodness of what He's done, when we are, I'll use the language of an hour ago, when we are resting in what He has done for us, His work on the cross, we are full. And we don't need anything else. I don't need that car. I don't need that house. I don't need that job. I don't need that. I have everything that I need. And everything else is living in the overflow of His goodness to me. So I can serve other people. I've heard Tim Keller. You guys know who Tim Keller is? He's like the, uh, the, the Johnny Cash of uh, pastors. You guys remember Johnny Cash? Johnny Cash was famous, but he should have been way more famous because everybody rips him off, right? Everybody tries to copy what he, he has done, and that's essentially what Tim Keller is. Everybody tries to rip him off. He's famous, but he should be more famous. Anyway, so he's, he said this. He, he gave this analogy about how we should, we should, be love, uh, should do love philanthropy. And he says, like, when you do fin- financial uh, philanthropy, you, you, have a, you, have a, you have excess finance. And so you take that finance and you give it to others. And, uh, if, you know, if you're a, a millionaire or a billionaire and you give away a thousand or a million dollars, and you know, sometimes we read these big headlines, you know, Bill Gates gives away, you know, two billion dollars. And that was, and we think, wow, it's a lot of money. That was probably like half the interest he made last year. Like, it was nothing to him. He didn't even know he, you know what I mean? He could, two billion to fall out of his pocket, and it means nothing. But, if, so if, you, if you're a billionaire and you give $100, no, who cares? But if, if that $100 is all that you have, that's a big deal. Yeah. The Christian, though, the Christian, though, the Christian, though, is to do love philanthropy. Because we have an excess resource. We can give away and, and not worry about it because we have all this excess reserve. So we can give or even give our lives away because we have an eternal one in heaven. So we can die for this cause. And it means nothing because of what we have in heaven. So the idea 
of throwing our life away and serving other people. It doesn't matter. I mean, I read this earlier. James says that this life is but a mist. Tyranny is gone. We, our life with him is forever. That reality transforms the way we think about freedom and how we serve other people. Why are we so stingy with our time when we have all the time in the world? Why are we so stingy with our love when the God who is love poured out himself for us? It's either true or it's not true. Mm -hmm. And the free person knows this and serves. So, so freedom it, it is not uh, pursuing self, um, but it's, it's pursuing love. And, and how do you know? Um, how, do you, how do you know this? Well, it, 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 verse 15 gives us a bit of a clue. It says, but if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you're not consumed by one another. When you don't give yourself to, to serving and loving others, you begin to cr- criticize other people. When you, when you are when you are when you feeling this need to, you're, you're trying to fill yourself up. You're trying to pursue self so that you can make something yourself, so you can present something yourself. But and, and you're not you're not living in the good of his his love that's poured over in your life and and generously giving it away to others. When you don't do that, you give over to these impulses. In the Greek, it literally means that you start acting like wild animals. Mm -hmm. Unable to subdue your own impulses. Wild animals, by the way, have the appearance of free. Oh, look at that wild animal. They're free, but they're subject to their own impulses. In other words, freedom and wholeness and the ability to walk in these things is removed from the self-seeking man or woman. And the root cause of almost all fights, all quarrels, all hatred, racism is a self-seeking heart. I mean, this is what James talks about when he says, why do you quarrel? Why do you fight? Why do you hate? Is it not because you're selfish? Mm -hmm. You want something and you're not getting what you want? I need... This, I need love and I'm not getting it, so I've got to get it from other people. I've got to get approval from other people. I've got to get affirmed by other people. I've got to get this from someone else. So I don't have time for others. I don't have time to give up because I've got, I got to fill me up. Paul says, well, how do you break free from this? Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you, this is profound, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Listen how big this is. There's, each one of us has something deep inside of us to walk in freedom, to walk in wholeness, and it burns inside of us. We're trying to pursue it. We are trying to chase it. But there's this reciprocity thing going on, this opposite thing saying, no, me, self, me and, and freedom and wholeness and what I'm after, what makes me happy. We want these things, but there's things working against us. Say, no, no, don't pursue those things. You need to pursue yourself. And this is the fight that we're in. Have you ever heard that phrase, you know, this fight between the, the flesh and the spirit, the, the enemies of our soul, according to 
Ephesians 2, you know, the world of flesh and the devil, the world's ways and systems and our own flesh and the devil tempting us to, to really just egg us on to do what we really want to do. And this starts very early on. You know, you know when you're young, you just practice, I can't wait to get to high school. Can't wait to get, can't wait to get, can't wait to get that job. Can't wait to get that phone. Can't wait to get another phone. Can't wait to get a wife. Can't wait to get a house. We keep chasing something that we just can't quite get. That's why Isaiah, the prophet, he says, Isaiah 54, why do you buy bread that doesn't satisfy? Why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep chasing something that's never, ever, ever going to, it's like chasing a mirage. It's an important question, I think, to ask yourself. What is it in your life that you are thinking, if I can have that, then I'll be free? You know, I woke up this man, I hope they bump me up to first class on the way back. And then I'll be free. When you're a teenager, popularity affirmed by your peers, you want something, you want someone who's not your parents to appreciate you. That's your general struggle. You may want something else, but that's, if you're a teenager, popularity, you want to be affirmed by your peers, someone other than your parents to appreciate you. When you're 20s, I think it's a spouse or someone to, that loves you. In your 30s, career, and the performance of your kids begin to kick in. That's your definition of freedom. In your 40s, comfort, leisure, space. I don't know what happens in your 50s, but, <laughs> or 60s, but, uh, oh, is that what happens? You quit? You give up? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. What? Take it easy. Take it easy, all right. Retirement, yeah. Our flesh wants relief. Let's just admit that our flesh wants relief. Whatever it is, it wants relief. So, so love the love of, of another person is ultimate. That's how I get freedom. Money gives me options, gives me upward mobility. That's my definition of freedom. Some economic system. I won't use names. Some economic system. If the, if, our, if our country could just adopt this economic system, that's freedom. Certain law being a certain way. Our flesh wants relief, but it's only the spirit that can give us freedom. If you follow, if you follow what your flesh wants which is the definition of freedom in our culture. If you follow what your flesh wants, you will be in bondage. True. We go back to a yoke of slavery, and the worst part is we don't even know it. Remember that time... In, um, with Jesus, he's talking to the Pharisees. And he says, um, 
he says to the Jews, he says, if you abide in my word, you are, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him. They answered him. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you, you say that we will become free? Someone says, so the Bible says that we are all slaves to sin and death. And someone's like, I'm not a slave to sin and death. Okay, prove it. Prove it by not sinning and not dying. You are a slave to whatever you cannot control. And no one can stop sinning and no one can stop dying. We are born into this kind of slavery and it's only Jesus that sets us free. The truth sets us free. And we found this not by pursuing self, but giving ourselves away to others. And I want to close this message. I want to share something in, in the, the, the week in the life of Jesus that just blew me away. It's just going to underline what we talked about. Um, I think I've been pretty impressed with Jesus uh, the past you know, 17, 18 years. Um, but in light of the context um, of what I'm of not using our freedom for us, but to serve others, I was just floored by what I read when I, re- when I reread this. It's in John 13, uh, 1 through 5. It was just before the, the, the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to portray Jesus. Now, let's understand what's going on here. Judas obviously betrays him, and he knows that. I mean, can you imagine when you're around someone that you think might be up to no good and you think wants to do you harm? Think about that person. And imagine that you actually knew that it was true. Not just that you thought it might be true, but you knew that it was true. Jesus knew that this is true. And then it says Jesus knew. What did he know? Now this is this takes it even up a notch. So he knew that Jesus was gonna or sorry, excuse me, he knew that Judas was gonna betray him. He knew that Peter was gonna deny him and, and the rest were just gonna leave him too. So this is the, these are the people he's with, all right? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Have you ever... So what is the definition of of, of freedom in our culture? I can do whatever I want, when I want, how I want, whatever. If I had all the resources, if I had all the... I just need the right resources. I just need the right opportunities. I just need the right whatever. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He literally could have done whatever he wanted. He could have done whatever... Have you ever had that game where you're like, hey, what if we win the lottery? What would we do? What would you do if you win the lottery? What if, I, what if, you, what if money was an object? Where would you go? Where would you live? What would you do? Let's, let's think happy thoughts here. 
Jesus had all the resources and the power under his control. And what does he do? He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped it around his waist. He poured water in a basin. And he began to wash the feet of the man who would betray him, who would deny him, and the rest would leave him. He could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And he served other people. Wow. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on, returned to his place, and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? They didn't. They said, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Are you living in fullness? Are you living in emptiness trying to fill yourself? Are you living in fullness seeking to empty yourself or are you living in emptiness seeking to fill yourself? That's why we have to to remind people of this good news. Not just always saying, this is the way you're wrong, we've got to be better. Yeah, we've got to say that stuff. We've got to correct things. But we've got to remind people of what they've gotten themselves into. He said, if you have understood this, you know, you call me teacher and you're right for this, and you see how I've washed your feet. No servant is greater than his master, no messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, blessed are you, happy are you, free are you, if you do them. Basic Christianity 101 is to serve other people. This is such a struggle for our people. It's a struggle for me. It's a struggle for us. This is the fight. The fight between the spirit, what the spirit wants to do in our life, and what our flesh wants. Feed the, feed the spirit, feed the flesh. The mind set on the flesh leads to death. Romans 8. Mind set on the spirit leads to life and peace. All in favor of life and peace, say aye. So how do we do this? Well, we, we just have to be those that are willing to... To, to serve other people, but to understand what Christ has done for us. I, I'm a sports guy, and I only pretty much know half sports analogies. And so, we, uh, uh, anybody here know football? Watch football? A few of us? Okay. Um, in, in football, what's very, very common is that um, you know, you got your offensive line, you got your defensive line, and these offensive, de- these defensive linemen are like 300 pounds, six. I mean, they're massive human beings. And um, every once in a while, you'll be watching a game, and there's like a breakdown in the play, and someone messes up, and there's this two, 300 pound lineman coming at the quarterback, right? And the, and you know, the 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 quarterback has a decision to make. <coughs> They can either, um, you know, throw the ball, you know, wait for the receiver to get open finally and throw the ball and take the hit. Or he can duck and not take the hit. 
But if he does, if he ducks and not takes the hit, the whole team loses. But if he takes the hit, he can make the throw. And so their announcers will say that, oh, he took the hit or he didn't take the hit. What does it mean to really serve others? Because, you know, you can, you can start to point fingers. Well, you know, it's the lineman's fault. And, you know, he, he should have blocked better. And da, da, da. Or the coaches, they came up with a bad play. Or the receiver ran the route wrong. And you can begin to do that. But at the end of the day, somebody has to take the hit. The quarterback does or the team does. And we serve a God who took the hit. And we are those, because of that, we're not just looking to follow that example, but we're actually transformed by what he's done. And we become those who take the hit. So we don't get caught up in like whose fault it is or what problem it is. It's just like there's a world out there that needs the love of Jesus. And Christians are those who just take the hit so that the proverbial team wins. And it's again, it's not by... Uh, you know, imitating him because if man, if it was bad enough to like serve other people to try to imitate Jesus would be crushing, but it's actually teaching yourself to be transformed by that, understanding the fullness of what he has done for you. So, I want to just pray for us, and I think we're going to break up in groups here in a little bit. Is that right? Oh, I can do we can do whatever we want. Well, let's pray for each other instead. Let's stand. Jesus, we know that we know that this this fight that we're in is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers. That there's just our, our our sinful desires want to pursue self, but Jesus, you want to, you freed us from that. You freed us from you know this desire to be our to be to. You know, not just to be like you, but to be you. To have autonomy. God, we we just see this this fight in our own life, desire to pursue ourselves. But God, we, we pray for the, the grace. We pray for the grace to, to walk in true freedom, to resist the desires of the flesh, and to walk in the Spirit, to be rooted and grounded in your love. I saw that shirt. Someone's wearing a shirt from Colossians 2, 6 through 7. It says, just as you, just as you, um, as you basically, like as you started with Christ, so, so walk in that way. As you came to him, so walk in him. How do we come to Jesus? How do we come to Jesus? We came to Jesus by saying something like this. I'm a terrible leader of my life. Everything I do and done is wrong. I'm turning from leading my own life and I'm, I'm turning to you. I'm, I'm remembering the gospel. I'm remembering what Christ has done for me. I'm remem- remembering who I am. And that frees us. That fills us. It, it frees us because it fills us. And when it fills us, we, we are glad to give ourselves away in love and service. God, I pray, will you fill us? Lord, you have filled us. And we pray for more fullness. We pray for more understanding of your spirit, Lord. We want the the fruit of the spirit to be alive in us. Gentleness, love, peace, joy, kindness. 
Lord, we want to live in your kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. Live in a world, Lord, where we know that we're right with you. Joy in our salvation. Peace and understanding that the one that created the universe controls our tomorrow. And I, I just pray, God, would we would be leaders that walk in true freedom. God, we would call people to freedom. Not to pursue self, trying to fill our emptiness, but to rem- to remind ourselves that He is the only one who can fill that gap. And He did it. And He loves you. And He pours His love out upon us. And He wants to pour out His Spirit on us to remind us it's all true. God, I pray that we would know the height and width and length and depth of Your love. Yeah. In the middle, I mean, that's Paul's prayer. In the middle of, the, in the middle of, of things going poorly, He says that. He didn't say, hey, you need a better outer life. He says you need a better inner life. You need to know. You need to know the love of God. And through that, man, you're going to do more than you could ever hope or imagine. So I pray, God, would you strengthen our inner life? Will you strengthen our spirit? May we be those that that feed our spirit. It would be great just, just to lay your hands on the person next to you and just pray for the fullness of God to come upon them. Just pray, God, pray the fullness of God to come upon them. Remind them your son, you are a daughter. You are eternally loved. You are eternally free.